The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, so we're going to start off here with the, the first application. Jesus goes to the heart of the very meaning of life, which is love. So I'm going to just read to you the verses, then in a moment we'll go back and take a look at it. But uh, this is the last week of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. So I know it seems like, wow, we've been in this week for a long time. A lot happened. Jesus said a lot of things. He did a lot of things from the time of Palm Sunday until uh, Passover on Good Friday. And that's what we're looking at. So this is his last week of his earthly life before his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, he had some amazing and interesting, uh, beautiful things to say. So in chapter 22, beginning in verse 34, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love God and love your neighbor. And that, you know, so that's kind of our theme here. Why, why come up with another one? You know, churches are wanting, you know, their mission, their vision or whatever. So basically, we, we get it from Jesus. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Someone has said that love may not make the world go around, but it, it sure makes the trip worthwhile. In reality, I would say that's not quite true. Love does make the world go around. And it also makes the trip worthwhile. And I'll tell you why. Because what really is love? God is love. Everything that love is, everything that love can be, is found in God. God himself. Love is not a feeling. It's not an experience. Love is a person. And love is God. God is love. So Jesus touches on something so deep and so profound because the, the sentiment of the whole world, all seven billion people on planet Earth, uh, would say that the sweetest, most exhilarating of all experiences and emotions is love. No matter what age you are, no matter what your group or season in life you might be in, well, no matter what time it may be, it's almost a universal belief that love is the greatest thing in life. Volumes and volumes of books and songs and poems and plays and novels and movies are made about love, all about love. And the Word of God tells us that love actually is the greatest virtue in the world, in the universe. It is why we exist. It is our purpose in life. First, to be loved by God. 
That's the first thing that I want to say. Look, if you, I don't know who's here visiting today, listening on the radio, watching online somewhere, whatever. I want you to know this, that the first thing that you need to do and, and realize is experience God's love for you. He wants to love you with everything he is. He wants to love you, pour out blessings upon you. How many are okay with that? That God just wants to love on me. And, and by that, by letting him love you, you will learn how to love. And if I could put, you know, what's the purpose of life? Basically, in, in one sentence, it is this. The purpose of our lives and existence is to learn how to love. It's to learn how to love. Everything you're going through in life is to learn how to love. And the, how do we learn how to love? We learn from how God loves us. And that's the story of the Bible from all the way from the very beginning. God in love made man, both male and female, in his image and after his likeness, because he loved them and he wanted to pour out his love upon them and he wanted to share his kingdom with them. He wanted to share the whole earth with them. He wanted to share the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the universe with them. And that's what God wants to do with you and with me. For all eternity, it is our purpose for this life is to learn how to love. The love of God is deeper than anything this world has ever known. But now I want you to look at this. This is the next little application here. Do not be afraid. We live in a, how many would agree with me? We live in a very fallen, broken world. Would you agree with that? Very fallen, very broken. And we need to be encouraged. And so Here's a message straight from the heart of God, your Father, in love. Do not be afraid. When God personified into the person of his son, Jesus, he constantly, the first thing that you would be struck with, if you were with him, around him, or started following him, or, or just saw a miracle, or heard a teaching, wow, I want to be with this man, Jesus, he would look at you with those deep, penetrating eyes and say, do not be afraid. Why did he so often say, don't be afraid? Because we are. We were. The disciples were. That generation of, of ancient Israel under the thumb of Rome in the whole you know, era, the, the period of the Roman army and military subjugated by them in their country there, Israel. There was a lot of pressures. There was a lot of fear. There were soldiers everywhere. And Jesus would say, do not be afraid. And then I want you to note this, when our enemies set a trap for us, because this whole thing of this question uh, was set up as a trap for Jesus. And I want you to know this, that the enemy who is against Jesus is now against those who follow him. And therefore, he sets up traps for us. But know this, they ultimately, those who set traps for us, ultimately trap themselves. This man tried to trap Jesus in this question but he ended up being trapped himself. So look at it again, verse 34 and 35. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. Now that was last week. We talked about the Sadducees, which I liken to the modern liberal theologians who are very religious and very biblical, in fact, in their history and knowledge and all, but they've cut off all the supernatural stuff. And we talked about that and how the Lord just answered this Sadducee in such a way that all of those who were listening, it says they were silenced. The Greek word literally means muzzled. They were speechless. Don't you love that? 
Ah, man, I wish sometimes you see the, the yelling and the arguing and the accusations and the back and forth of the various topics going on and, you know, on TV and the web and all that stuff. Oh, how I would love for Jesus to be in one of those where he just gives an answer and they're just like, they can't say anything. How many would love to see that? They were silenced, muzzled when they gathered together. So then one of them, so the Pharisees, which is one group, you know, they believed in the supernatural and all that. The Sadducees did not, but the Sadducees, they, they get silenced. So the Pharisees go, hey, now it's our turn. <laughs> they were kind of glad the Sadducees were made to look bad by Jesus, but now they're going to take their turn. So one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? The particular one that they chose to confront Jesus is described as a lawyer. Uh, the actual uh, term would be a scribe, but our understanding would be, and this is what Matthew says, he was a lawyer, but he wasn't just any kind of lawyer. There are different kinds of lawyers with their specialties and fields. He was a legal expert in the laws of God. He was a legal expert in the laws of Moses. And rabbis were constantly arguing uh, because there, I don't know if you know this, but there's not just the Ten Commandments. Of course, there's the Ten Commandments, but underneath those and detailed in the Old Testament are many, many other, I'm sure you know, laws. Well, if you count them all, there are 613. How many would agree that's a lot of laws? And so the, the basic idea is you have to follow all 613 and live perfectly by them every single day of your whole life. And then at the end of your life, if you've lived all 613 daily perfectly for the rest of your life, then you can go to heaven. How many realize that's not looking good for us? Not looking good. So the, rabbi, the people were like, we can't do this. I can't even remember 613, let alone do them. Which, so here's what the people would ask. Tell, what's the important ones? What's the, like the big ones? And then aren't there some that are kind of littler and like God will kind of let it slide a little bit? So what are the heavy laws that we really got to pay attention to? And then we'll work on the little ones later. So they're always kind of discussing that. So that's kind of what this lawyer is asking. So which one is the number one most important of all of them? And Jesus is getting ready to answer. Now he's trapping him. And here, let me tell you why. How, why would that be a question to trap Jesus? Because the Pharisees, the, the religious Jews, in their minds, when Jesus taught 2,000 years ago, oh, how I wish we could have had, I, I hope that they have in heaven the ability, I'd love to go to heaven, the heavenly library, and pull out, you know, the, the whatever, YouTube on, or whatever is going to be there, on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. How many of you would love to just watch Jesus, they, you know, be able to go there, see it, hear it, and all of that? I would love that. I think it would be absolutely incredible. And uh, so as they're asking which one of these is the greatest commandment, they're trying to trap him. They felt that Jesus, his teaching was somehow off of Moses. And he taught like nobody had ever taught before. He taught with grace. He taught with love. He taught with mercy. He taught with a father who is compassionate. And they said, he's got to be off because they were very legalistic. I know that there are some of you who were raised in a, in a legalistic tradition. It, you know, it could be a Christian church, and they basically know about, you know, Jesus died and rose, but they're kind of ruled by laws. And if you don't follow the rules, and some of the rules that a church or denomination can have, they're not actually in the Bible. 
They were added by the culture or the people. But if you fail in one of those things and then you get cut off or ostracized, man, it can be very, very painful. So these, when they heard Jesus, they said, he's not, he's not following the law. He's off Moses. They were very, very legalistic. And that was their accusation. So they're trying to trap him because they know he'll probably say something that disagrees with Moses. And then they can tell everybody, we got to leave this guy. He's, he's going against Moses. So we have to, you know, he's a heretic. Leave him. They were trying to trap him. Now, here's what's interesting. The, the guy asking the question that's trying to get away from, you know, think Jesus will get off Moses is really trapping himself. Again, just like what happened last week with the Sadducees. So there's a story in the Old Testament. You guys know the story of Haman? Well, the story of Esther, yes? The story of Esther, and uh, there's this guy named Haman. Haman hates the Jewish people, and his hatred for the Jewish people. There's always been throughout history a hatred for Jewish people. <laughs> and the simplest way to explain it is that when God you know, picked Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he said, I choose you. Then the enemy is like, whoa, then everybody else feels bad, and so we're, we have to be against the ones that God has chosen. So you're the chosen one. And um, so there was this hatred. Haman hated the Jewish people. They think they're better than us. They think they're the chosen ones, and he particularly hated Mordecai. Mordecai had this little niece, you know, named Esther, and the whole story of her going before the king in the beauty contest, and she wins. And Haman is like, I got to get this guy, Mordecai. And he finally sets it up that he's going to get Mordecai. He, wants, he hates him so bad he wants to kill him. So he makes, near his own home, a gallows. He puts his own money, his own time, his own energy. He makes a personal gallows so that he and his family can watch uh, Mordecai, the Jew that he hates, hang. And in the end of the story, what happens? The whole story turns around the next thing because the king is in love with this beautiful Jewish girl named Esther. And he goes, honey, what's the matter? You seem so upset. And she goes, well, they want to kill my whole people. And he goes, who? And he goes, that guy, Haman. <laughs> and he was like, ah. And the king is so, you did that to my wife? And he goes, where's the gallows? They said, actually, down by his house. He made one really well. And Haman hangs on the gallows he made. There's a lesson in that. There's a lesson in that. Everybody that comes against the Lord and they're building a gallows to hang you, they're going to hang on the very same gallows. The devil gets hanged by the gallows he makes in the end times. The Antichrist is going to get hung by the very gallows he is building. Your enemies who are testing and plotting against you, if you just kind of just seek the Lord and walk with the Lord and your dad and his big hand, the very gallows that they are working so hard to make, they themselves will hang on it and you will be scot-free. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Okay, so let's get to the main point. Verse 36, which is the most important commandment in the eyes of God? Verse 30. Six, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's asking, what is the greatest commandment of Moses? And I want to just say this, although the scribes and Pharisees, they considered the whole Old Testament to be inspired by God, authoritative, 
They nevertheless considered Moses to be the supreme figure in Scripture. Nobody in the ancient Jewish world in the time of Jesus was more revered, more looked up to, more honored, more respected than Moses. Why? Because Moses is the only human being up into that time in human history that had spoken to God face to face. That's pretty heavy. How many of you would like to speak to God face to face? Yeah? No, it's honestly. Raise your hand if you'd like. Okay. How many of you would be like, very slowly, maybe, you know, take, yes, but, or how many would be afraid if God literally showed up and his face? Let me tell you what happened, you know, 3,000 years ago, whatever, Moses, you know, he thought he'd blown it, he killed a guy, he ran away from his upbringing with Pharaoh, he's out in the desert, he's 80 years old, he's like, I'm just, I just want to be alone, I want to just be with the mountains and be a shepherd, and he's out there, he thinks he's done. And God's like, dude, you haven't even begun. And so he sees a bush on fire. And, you know, that happens in the desert, you know, the sun, and it can kindle something and spark, and you kind of watch it out of the corner of your eye. Fire does that, attracts your eye, but it just kept burning and burning and burning and burning and burning, burning, and it never was burnt out, never consumed. And finally, he kept looking at it, staring at it. He goes, that's weird. He says, surely by now that thing should have been burned up, but it looks bigger and brighter and burning more than it ever was. He goes, that's weird. I'm going to go see this weird thing. And when he walks up to this burning bush, a voice speaks to him. Would that freak you out? (laughs) A voice says, take off your shoes. Moses, you are standing on holy ground. Ah! And then he begins to speak to him, and God calls him. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal myself to you. Now, it just started with a burning bush. He goes, but I'm coming down from heaven for my glory and my power. I'll meet you on the top of the mountain. Which brings us, why always God with mountains? Because the Garden of Eden was on top of a mountain. And so God said, I'm going to meet you there. And the people were terrified. They look up and all of a sudden this supernatural, it, was, it looked like a cloud, but it wasn't a cloud. It was the presence of God. There was thunder shaking the mountains and the ground beneath your feet, but it wasn't thunder. It was something else, supernatural. There was flashes that looked like lightning, but it wasn't lightning. It was the glory of God up on the mountain, surrounded, fire inside of it, thunder and lightning, and this thick cloud of darkness, and the people were so afraid, they didn't want to get near it. And then Moses said, I'm going. And little Moses, 80-year-old guy, walks up and disappears into the thick darkness where God was. And God speaks to him. And God reveals himself to Moses. And then God takes his finger and he literally writes on two tablets of stone, Here is my law. Really, here is my will. Here is my fatherly counsel. Here is my ten ways, ten words. If you follow this, you will be supernaturally blessed, supernaturally protected, supernaturally glorified in a magnificent way as my people. And I will use you to be a light to the whole world. Man. The next thing you know, 
Moses comes back down and looks exactly like Charlton Heston in the movie. Remember when his hair was like, oh, white. And then he goes to Pharaoh and God told Moses, he said, you, I'm not talking to Pharaoh. You'll be my mouthpiece, but when you talk to Pharaoh, your mouth will be as God. What you say is like God. Everything you say will come to pass. And then the 10 plagues, remember that one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 10. Everything Moses said happened because he was echoing. Moses became the voice of God to the whole world. I mean, this is good stuff, man. They ought to make a movie about it. (laughs) Actually, they did. So anyway... They were, the question, what is the greatest commandment? And they thought Jesus was going to get away from Moses. I want you to look with me at this. Matthew chapter 5, one of the first sermons Jesus ever gave is called the Sermon on the Mount. And early on, this is what he said to everybody. Let's read it out loud together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus, this guy is thinking, we got to make everybody realize he's off of Moses, he's against the law of Moses and everything. And Jesus starts with, did you think I came to abolish the law? I came to fulfill it. And in part, what that means is Jesus is the only Jew in the history of the world who actually lived all 613 commandments perfectly every day of his entire life. He's the only perfect human being that ever lived. And the only one who ever lived the law, followed the law, he says, I come to fulfill the law. Now, he did that also in part, not only by living it, but dying for us who didn't live by the law so that we can be washed and cleansed and forgiven and healed and be able to give our hearts unto the Lord Jesus Christ. So I love this. Okay, so let's look at verses uh, 37 through 40, the command to love God. What does it mean? It means radical obedience. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus responds without hesitation, and the answer he gives is to quote from, in the Hebrew, what's called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew means to hear. And there is a scripture in the Old Testament that says, uh, hear, O Israel, Shema Israel. And that's what it's named for. Now, I don't think that, uh, I didn't put all these scriptures, but this is very, very important for you to know. I wanna, I'm going to give to you three scriptures. I want you to write it down. You could look them all up and read it later. But this is what is called the Shema. Uh, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And then secondly, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 21. Chapter 11, 13 through 21, and finally, Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. These scriptures are by far the most familiar, the most quoted, the most copied scripture passages in Judaism. 
And every day, in Jesus' day, every faithful Jew twice a day said the Shema of Israel. The very first line in Hebrew is Shema, Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you know what it says right after that? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Our Lord God is one. Therefore, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, The Shema, the very core of the essence of Judaism is when the guy says, so what is the greatest commandment according to you, Rabbi Yeshua, that we think is off of the law of Moses? And he quotes the heart and soul of Judaism. He quotes literally from what's been revealed through Moses because Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is the guy who talked to God face to face. Moses is the man that God said, I want you to write down everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all the way from Genesis through Deuteronomy. So look with me here. This is the the first part of what's called the Shema that Jesus quotes from. Let's read it out loud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Exclamation point. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Basically what Jesus said is, I am declaring to you the greatest commandment of all is the very commandment that Moses gave and that you Jews, Pharisees, recite every day and pray twice a day. He nailed it. So you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let's read this scripture. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. It's the core secret. It's kind of the holy of holies of your spirit within your heart. We're to love God with that. Last week, we talked about Sadducees that have been wounded, they've been hurt, they've been offended, they got mad at God, or they, God let them down, or whatever, they judged and they distanced themselves or whatever, and their heart is locked away, and a heart that is separated from God, who is love, uh, will grow cold. It will grow cold. It's like going to a fireplace and, and taking the tongs and grabbing, there's a fire burning and roaring like love is supposed to be, but your tongs, you take one of those coals, your heart And you take that coal out of the fire and you put it somewhere over here, you know, on the the mantle below, and what will happen? It will grow cold. That's what will happen to your heart if you separate yourself from your Father, who is love. The only way you as a coal can be on fire is to be in the hearth and the heart of the fire of God. You have to love God. We have to love God with all of our heart. So now in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone who, look, I know, I understand. I'm a human being. I've been hurt. I've been disappointed. I haven't understood why God did certain things in certain ways at certain times. But that doesn't give us the right to judge him and then cut our hearts off from him. So if you have done that, please, in the name of Jesus right now, say, Lord, forgive me. You know, I was hurt. I was wrong. I I don't want to do that. I'm freezing I'm alone. 
I'm empty. And I open the core of my being. I open my heart to you. Bring this lonely little coal and throw it on the altar before your throne. Make my heart come to life again. Bring it to full flame. I invite you back in. Love God with all your heart. Secondly, love him with your soul. Soul is the closest word to our English word, emotion. This word soul is used by Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when he sweat great drops of blood and he said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. So there are a lot of, you know, spiritual people, religious people, but they're not, they don't really have their soul into it. God says, I want you to love me first with the core of your being, your heart, and then I want you to love me with your soul, and your soul is your emotions. God is the most emotional being in the universe. He made you in his image. There's a reason, and there are a lot of people that are afraid of emotions, especially harsh ones and painful ones and grieving ones, and then we try to protect ourselves from feeling too much. No, Here, here's what God wants to do. He, he's, if you let him hold your soul and your emotions, he can heal you emotionally. He can give you everything you ever hoped for, everything you ever dreamed of. But when you're in, in love and on fire with God, your soul, you will not feel less as you grow as a Christian, you will feel more and more and more, more love, more grace, more mercy, more compassion, more tenderness, more love, more peace, more joy, more emotion. Can I hear an amen? amen? With all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. The word mind is a big word in the Hebrew. It means might uh, and strength. So it's, Lord, I, I'm learning your ways, I'm understanding your ways, and there's a strength that comes in knowing and learning about God, and, and following him, and knowing him, and loving him with everything that is inside of you. So obedience, uh, let's go to this one, obedience is to love God. Obedience is to worship God. Obedience is to show faith in God. Obedience is to enter into the blessings of God. Obedience brings deliverance from the evil one. Read with me 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Let's read this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So what I want to say to you is, is this. We, it's a time for radical obedience to the Lord. That we would, the best encouragement I could give to you in wherever, whatever station, season, time of your walk with God, if you would purpose it, I'm going to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. And the best way to do that is to obey him, radically to obey him. Have you ever chosen to radically obey the Lord? Not in a legalistic sense, a whole bunch of rules. It's not rules. It's a father's heart. It's a father's wisdom. It's a father's guidance to your best life, your best future, your greatest blessing. It's a father giving you the counsel of that's genius that will fulfill you in every single way, that will bless you. He's dropped so many blessings into your future, and the more radically you obey him, the faster you get to the blessings he has set for you. Amen? Radical obedience. And then, 
Second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So to love our neighbor, what is that? Radical discipleship. I'm going to just call it radical discipleship. You want to love someone, love them into the kingdom of heaven. Love them into a relationship with the Lord. Uh, and you can, you know, literally, whether they go to church or they read the Bible or they don't know what's what, you can still start loving them. You can start even begin discipling them, sharing with them and praying for you and thinking of you. You can invest in them. You can, you know, here's what my testimony is. Here's what God has done for me. So to love them radically and to make disciples. You know, I'm sure that uh, you've heard this before, but in the Great Commission, Jesus did not say go make believers of all nations. He said go make disciples of all nations. Now, a believer, you got to be a believer to be a disciple, so that's the beginning part, but being a believer is only the beginning of a lifetime of being a disciple. So, Vicki and I uh, watched this, uh, this show and some amazing things. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of wrap it up. You can close your Bibles, but I want to just share with you this story of something that we saw. Some of you, probably a few of you have heard about it. How many of you have heard about what's going on in Iran in the church, or the revival. Anybody? How many? Yes? Raise your hands. Let me see. Okay. Not so many as I thought. Okay. So let me tell you, one of the most, the fastest growing part of the body of Christ on planet earth right now is probably Iran. Does that blow your mind? What if I told you that in Iran, many, many of the mosques are empty? What if I told you that something so radical is happening and, and they, they can't build churches and they can't take offerings and they don't have buildings and uh, they, they just, ha and they have to be kind of you know, smart and quiet about it, and they just share with their family and then their neighbor and then their friend, and then they meet in homes and sometimes in secret, but it is spreading like, it's just wild, wildfire, phenomenal, and miracles. And then many of them, it's like the, those who are ministering in Iran say, we cannot keep up with Jesus. And they go, what do you mean? Every person we try to start talking to about spiritual things or whatever, the moment we begin, they say, stop, I had a dream. And I saw Jesus, Jesus came to me. Dreams, they're having visions, miracles, healings, little things, you know, one, uh, there was this lady that she, she goes, I, I don't even believe, I, I, you know, because in one sense, what Iran has done is brought the real face of radical Islam. And a lot of the people that are there seeing the real face of it are going, I'm not, I'm not with that, and they've become atheists. They're not really atheists, they're just saying, if that's God, I don't want anything to do with it, but they're hungry. So then you meet a, an Iranian, I'm an atheist, I don't go to mosque, I don't do this, I don't do that, or whatever, and a Christian comes to them and says, well, why don't you ask the real God if he's real? He probably could prove to you that he loves you and he's real, just ask. So this lady goes home, who would been through that, like I'm done with it, you know, it's empty, it's nothing, and okay, God, if you're real, show up in my house right now, prove it. She has tiles in their house, old house, and some of them, you know how they make, they make a little noise or whatever, right then, boom, 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 boom. She heard someone walking right in front of her, the tiles, 
clicking, and she could hear the footsteps in her house, but she couldn't see. Drops to her knees and says, okay, you're in. I open my heart to you. Where do I go from here? That's what God is doing. And it's amazing. And here's the other thing. I mean, this is even bigger. So they start reading the Bible. They've never read the Bible. They read the Bible and they go, wow, there's a lot of Jews in the Bible. <laughs> what are they doing there? Then they, Jesus was a Jew. This is the territory where Haman came from. You hear what I'm saying? And all of a sudden they go, they get convicted and they go, Look, Israel, the state, and all politics, all that, that's one thing. But the people, if they're Jesus people, then we have to love them. And they start praying for them. What if I told you that right now in the Middle East, the people who maybe have the biggest heart for the Jewish people, praying for them, wanting to minister to them, are the people who are living in Iran, in the underground church? Our God is an awesome God. That's happening right now. Now, and there's a video, if you want to watch it, it's on YouTube, it's called Sheep Among Wolves. I don't necessarily agree with every little detail and thing about it, but I, you know, you guys are Bereans and, you know, you can talk about it and, but I feel like, uh, you know, I don't want to keep you from seeing it just because you might say, well, what about this? What about that? Okay, fine. But in the middle of that, God is doing something absolutely incredible. And one of the things they've said that has made it so on fire is because they realize once you make that decision, I'm not going to deny Jesus. Literally, every day you open that door, you walk out, and you're not going to deny him and be afraid of him. It could mean you may not come home or see your husband or wife or come home to your kids or you might go to jail or you might even lose your life. And so they determine if this is real, and if eternity is also real, then we're opening that door that God will use us because our life, if, if the Lord takes it, you know, they overcame the devil because of the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. They said, if I got to be a martyr, but I get to spend eternity with this Jesus I've fallen in love with, the sooner the better, let's go. So it's a radical, they have, dis, they have to determine every day, I'm going to obey him radically. I'm going to make disciples in a radical way. And that may be the fire. What if God used Iran to spark a fire in us in the West because of the times in which we live? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.